4: The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada, Dundalk and Cavan. We want you to challenge us for the best deal on a new Renault or Dacia in 2020. You can now inquire at blackstonemotors.ie.
5: You're very welcome to Friday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Yes, the circus rolled into town this morning. Taoiseach Lear Varadkar and his entourage were here on LMFM Radio. And they've been about the town as well. Yes, we got more pledges and promises. We had similar commitments. Let me remind you last year as well. And last time we got extra garda for Drahan. Rookies from Temple more welcome, but seriously to tackle the most dangerous criminals. Yes, the ERU is about. We need more members of the ERU. But what's really needed in Drahan are garda with experience. For example, those who restored law and order in Limerick. But you see, there's an underlying problem, folks, in Drogheda, and I'll just explain it to you. It's the largest town in Ireland, and it's been neglected economically and socially by successive governments of all shades for decades now. The town has been bypassed in every sense, and don't get me started about the toll you have to pay on the south environs of the town to come in and out. It wouldn't be acceptable anywhere else, I have to say. If you're familiar with Drahada, house building is ramping up again, north and south of the River Boyne. And you know what it's going to mean? More poor souls who can't afford to buy in Dublin will relocate. They'll sleep here, get up at the crack of dawn and not return home until late evening, leaving their children to be minded by others at massive cost financially and personally. They'll soon understand that where they live, this new home is a nightmare to get in and out of and at the weekends they'll realise there's not too much in the way of facilities for the community or sporting-wise for their families. Drogheda is on the horns of a dilemma, administration-wise. It's sprawling across two counties, and Mead. It's administered, partly from Dundalk and partly from Navin, simultaneously. And really, the biggest town in Ireland is falling between two stools. There's one solution. There must be a new single authority with real powers to administer this place. The city status group have it absolutely 100% right. All parties, let me tell you, are responsible for the neglect of my town. This is my town, Drogheda. Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael and Labour who've all been in power at various stages in the last 20 years and more. So remember this, when they call to your doors between now and the 8th of every election day, challenge them, don't let them away lightly, answer the doors, take them on. They're responsible, they must be held accountable and they must commit to driving a new agenda for Drada. There needs to be, there just has to be, industry and jobs. Then remember this, you won't have to pull your children out of bed in the mornings, not see them Monday to Friday or travel and commute at great cost. There must be more sporting and leisure facilities, and deep-rooted, substantial community supports. I today, on late lunch, challenge any of the political classes to sit in here with me and outline the number of industries and jobs created in Drogheda in the last 10 to 20 years. I want them to look at the monies granted to sporting organisations from the Sports and Capital Fund and compare the jobs and this money with towns of similar size who have much more political clout in government and have had it for decades. Enough is enough. We are not going to tolerate the neglect here anymore. And I want to say finally, this rally against violence is very welcome on Saturday week. But it should also incorporate what I've just spoken about, the economic and social neglect of Drogheda for decades, which underpins the violence we're experiencing at the moment. Welcome to Late Lunch, I'll say it to you again. If you'd like to comment 086 1800 658 by WhatsApp or text, or you can call in on 1850 my first guest today is a best-selling author, journalist, broadcaster and musician who's about to publish a series of books on gangland crime in Ireland. The first true crime book is based on work Shane Dunphy did with children involved with gangs. Shane, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks for having me. Of course, we're talking in the light of the horrific murder of young Keane Mulready Woods. I want to ask you this first. What draws children into the vicious world of the drugs trade?
4: Can I just, before I say that, just express my condolences to Keane's family? Um, I mean, obviously, this is a a horrendous thing that has happened. And I can only imagine what it must be like for them with all of the the, the media and the newspapers Mm. and everything that's going on. And I mean, as, as revelations come out, it's going to be very difficult for them to to have to live through that. So I just want yes. to express that first. Yes, thank um, you. But to, to, to answer your question then, um, gangs are an incredibly complicated social phenomenon. Um, on, on the face of it, obviously, they're a business. Uh, that, that, that's they're, they're they're driving force. Um, you know they, they they earn money through drugs, through through various types of organized crime. There's gangs that I would have um, encountered that would have had kind of very highly organized robberies set up in and around the areas that they're in. Um, right now, drugs is probably what's driving most of the the the, the, the gang crime in Ireland. I and mean, you've probably seen yourself in in various different. Programs and newspaper articles, that cocaine is, is, is probably the bedrock of, of the, the trade that gangs are, are dealing in at the moment. What draws young people into it? Um, we are currently living in a society where the gap between, and I mean, listening to what you've said mm. at the start of the program probably illustrates it more than anything else. We're living in a society where the gap between those who have and those who have not is getting bigger and bigger and bigger all the time. We are seeing young people who are growing up in environments where they, they feel that they are without hope, that our society suggests that there are certain goals that we should all hope to achieve. You should have a nice house, you should have a nice car, you should have a, a business or a trade, you should have some degree of respect, people should look up to you. And we see young people growing up in worlds where they just have absolutely no hope whatsoever ever achieving those things using the normal parameters that society sets out. Education, training, moving up through the social order. That's cut off to them. It's not available to them because of their postal address, because of the upbringing that they've had. And what do they do? They look around and they see, okay, if I can't go to college, if I can't get an apprenticeship, if I can't uh, achieve these things using the normal, respectable routes, what routes are available? Well, often the only route that is available is the gang. Um, I I dealt with a young man. I've I've written about him in newspaper articles and he's in this book that I have coming out at the beginning of February. In, In the book, I call him Mikey. Mikey grew up in a home with a domestically abusive father. His mother had severe psychiatric problems. He basically was was let down by every aspect of society. The primary school that he went to tried to help him. They tried to make sure that he had a lunch when he went in. They tried to make sure he was warm. They tried to make sure that he had the correct clothes, like coats and the proper shoes when the weather altered. But when he left primary school and went to secondary education with bigger classes, more pressures, they weren't able to look after him. He told me that he was sitting at home on his 14th birthday looking at TV on his own, freezing cold, hungry, he didn't know where his parents were. And he said that he realized suddenly he had this epiphany, this terrible moment of fear. I'm 14 today. What if it never gets any better than this? What if this is as good as it gets? And he said to me that he realized then and there that the only person was going to get him out of this situation was himself and he decided that the next morning he was going to a guy that he knew was involved in the local gangs and he was going to go to him and say i will do whatever it is you want me to do it doesn't matter what it is i will clean your shoes or i will go and shoot someone whatever it is you want me to do i will do it just help me and he said he went to this guy's house and he knocked on the door and your man came out and he said this guy looked him up and down And he said that the first words that came out of his mouth was one question. He said to him, when was the last time you had something to eat? And in that one sentence, this man had this kid's loyalty for the rest of his life. It's easy for us to write these guys off as scumbags, and they are. And it's easy for us to write these guys off as thugs, and they are. But there's much, much, much more going on in the phenomenon of gangs than just thugs dealing drugs. These kids are looking for something to belong to. They're looking for something that is going to give them status. They're looking for something that is going to save them from the situation that they're in. After your man brought this kid in and fed him and gave him kind of some menial jobs to do in the gang, the next thing that they did a couple of days later was run this guy's father out of the area because this guy's father was beating him on a regular basis and abusing him. So what did they do? They, they fed him, they gave him status, and they protected him from what was the thing that he was the most afraid of. Now, of course, this kid ended up getting involved in all sorts of other violent and frightening stuff that he needed help to extricate himself out of in other ways. But on the face of it, what, the immediate help and, 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 and care and support that he needed came from these guys. And, of course, they then drew him into... The, the other aspects of criminality. But it, 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 it's so complicated. And all of the stuff that you talked about at the top of the programme, Jerry, all of that is part of this. This, this sense of hopelessness. Um, I did some work with um, the monks of Moirast down in Limerick. This is the Franciscan order that work in the estates down there. And I remember talking to um, Brother Sylvester Who was um, very active down there when I was, when I was visiting. And, you know, they've worked with gangs in America. They've worked with gangs in Mexico. And I remember saying to him, you know, look, what are you seeing here? You know, we look at this and we, we see this as being so awful. You know, how does it measure up? And he said something to me, which really struck me. He said, we have seen greater material poverty. In other parts of the world, he said, but the psychological and emotional poverty that we've encountered in these kids in Ireland is the worst that we've seen anywhere. And it is, again, it's that sense of there is nothing for us. There's no way out of this. This is the only avenue that is available to us to achieve the goals and the ends that we need. And that's what we're dealing with, Jerry.
5: I have to say I've been just hanging on every word you said there and it just crystallises the problem and sadly you mentioned like home circumstances can be difficult and that's Horrendous when a child like the example you mentioned finds yeah. finds themselves in that situation. But here's the thing: I, I, I mentioned here in the show yesterday that anybody delving in recreational drugs or you know parties at the weekend or they have blood on oh. their hands. You know that people who do that. Absolutely, but,
4: but, that is the next point that I was yes. going to come to. Um, there, there's levels of, in all of this. I said it's incredibly complex. These gangs would not have the foothold that they've got in our communities if it wasn't for the popularity of drugs like, as, I mean, we've seen a lot of mention of cocaine but I mean, I, I, I teach students and, and I work with young people on a regular basis, ecstasy is everywhere now as well. And the same shipments that are going to bring your cocaine into the country are going to bring your ecstasy into the country as well. You know, I work with kids and their first encounter with, with drugs of any kind, when, when you and me were young, Jerry, it would be a, an illicit pint mm. in, in some pub that didn't mind serving underage drinks. For a lot of these kids, the first drug that they're encounter is going to be something like ecstasy or MDMA or cocaine that's shared around at a house party that they go to. That's the world that we live in now. And a lot of people will tell you, I'm a law-abiding citizen. Okay, I do a couple of lines of coke at the weekend, you know, when I'm out and about, but you're like, that's okay. Who's that hurting? What they're not seeing is the chain of, of, of broken lives, you know, not just in Ireland, but in other parts of the world as well where this poison comes from. And, and you know, it's not a victimless crime. And and, and that's something that we, there needs to be a complete change in our mindset as to how we think about these things. Because as you said very eloquently there, Jerry, that, you know, you do a, a couple of lines of cocaine at the weekend. You had a part to play in what happened to, to, to Keane. You know, that's the reality mm. that we're dealing with. And people need to understand that.
5: Just back to what you said a few moments ago, because I had a light bulb moment as you were speaking there, and I see now that lack of political will and investment in communities, and you know, the Irish politics where the, 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 the loudest shouting TD and the most vocal are the one who's in a position after an election to hold power, pulls to his or her area and at the expense of so many other places. That's totally wrong.
4: I mean, the kids that I was telling you about there, as I said, Mikey is what I called him. I mean, the area that he was working, had a ver- that he was living in, I beg your pardon, had a very active community centre of mostly voluntary youth workers who were doing their best to try and provide something for these kids. And uh, I mean, we, you and I have talked about this before on the show, Jerry. I mean, community responses are vital. You need to have, as you said, your sports teams. You need to have really, really strong early years services to get these kids when they're very, very young. Because if you can show them that there are other ways to be, other versions of masculinity, other ways of achieving your goals without this, because in some areas, Jerry, the gang is seen as being just a normal rite of initiation for young people. It's just part and parcel of what their lives are. They don't even question that they're going to be involved in it. It just is. And we need to change that. That has to alter. And Education.
5: They don't, yeah, educate, Sorry, and they follow-up. don't see Shane. Just, just I wanted to just interject, and I'll let you go on here. The, the danger, like, the, like, the, like, look, look, what's happening these days in Ireland? There's two more people shot uh, in the last hour or so in Dublin. We just hear. Do they not see that their lives can be on the line, and that they're expendable to these people?
4: I I, I asked Mikey about that the very first time that I met him because I was interviewing him for an article that I was doing. He contacted me wanting to tell his story. Would you believe? Because I had previously written a string of articles saying about how lethal the gangs could be to these young people. And he wanted me to write a piece about how the gang had saved his life. That's what he wanted me to write about. Um, And I remember asking him, look, the, the likelihood of meeting a violent end, which is going to either cause you to be dead or cause you to be disabled or so injured that that your life is going to be altered irrevocably. And his thing was, well, look, that's the gamble that we are prepared to take. You work hard, you live fast, and if that means that you die young, so be it. That's the trade-off. He said, I would prefer to have the respect and the notoriety of my peers and of the people living around here. Because he said to me, before I got involved in the gang, I was invisible. People didn't even see me. Uh, I mean, social services had been involved with them because of the domestic violence. Some of his teachers had tried to get them involved. But sure, you know, he slipped through the cracks there. The school wasn't able to give him what he needed. I mean, he said that he virtually stopped showing up to secondary school and he said to me, nobody came looking for me. That's how little they cared. Nobody came looking. Um, the gang gave him visibility it gave him notoriety and it gave him status and you know he felt that that was really really valuable that suddenly here were people who did seem to give a shit i beg your pardon but if that means you know that okay so he's a commodity He's a worker. Uh, I mean, gangs, if you look at them universally, they're the same. They're a core group of much, much older guys, often in their late 30s or even early 40s, who are running the business end of it. But most of the legwork is done by these very, very young kids, like Keane's age, you know, and sometimes younger. I mean, when I was dealing with Mikey, I encountered another story of a young fella who started dealing drugs at school um working as a courier, literally, he would meet people on the way to school when he was about 10 years old. They would give him a parcel, which he would put in a school bag. And during the break in the school, the the, the, the 11 o'clock break, he'd go out to the railings and pass a package through the railings to some guy who'd be waiting outside, who would pass a package back into him, which he would deliver then on his way home. He started age 10, so there's kids very, very young mm. getting involved in this as well. Yes,
5: yes, down, I've seen, uh, down to 10 years of age. Listen, Shane, I have to leave it there for the day, but can all I right, come Jerry. back to you, Shane, please? You know, the book is on the horizon in February. We'll talk again, if that's Absolutely. OK.
4: Absolutely, I'd look forward to that, Jerry. Yeah. Shane, Thank you're, you're a star. Much.
5: Thank you so much Not indeed. Thank Thanks you. indeed. Bye-bye. 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 Shane Dunphy there. What a wonderful, wonderful guy. Late Launch, LMFM Radio, Friday afternoon.
1: Fly me to
5: Dubai. Yes, you are in. You're in, you're in, you're in. Who am I talking to? <laughs> Hello, Jerry. Who's that? Mary Rogan. Where are you, Mary? Where are you today? Ma- Mellor from Perth. Indra, in Mary Rogan. <laughs> I thought you weren't going to answer there for a moment because oh, it sorry. rang several times. Were you expecting us, Mary?
0: No, I just <laughs> I I heard the phone ringing in the sitting room. I ran in and I just took
5: a chance. That's it? You're a great woman. That's what I'm saying to people. Take a chance no matter where you are. Sing it when the phone rings between half one and half three. Well, Mary, let me tell you, you now have a one in six chance of winning those... Flights, return flights with yes. Emirates to Dubai, a four-night stay in the Lapa Luxury Hotel, and it oh all comes to us from Globe Travel, Lawrence Street, oh Rade. So you're Thank in, Mary. God. So now we have Siobhan Gray, Myrtle Carroll, Stephen Houston, Nolene Roach, Jerome, and Brian, Jerome O'Brien, and we're adding Mary Rogan to that list. And there may be one or two more. Are you excited, Mary? Oh, it'll <laughs> <laughs> oh it's okay Yay! I am delighted. Brilliant. I'm really brilliant. delighted. Uh, by the way, I just wanted to ask you, did anyone else ring you? and would you have happened to sing to them? Um, <laughs> well, I had one yesterday. And did you sing, Mary? <laughs> I did. <laughs> and it wasn't us? Did you hear about that? No, what happened? No. Tell me, who rang you? Oh, my accountant rang. Your accountant? <laughs> yeah. And you sang Fly Me it To Dubai? I did, <laughs> What did you think? i uh, sorry you have a tax bill to pay. <laughs> <laughs> you need to get to Dubai Mary oh I love it I absolutely love it well there you are you're a great sport well Mary Sandra Finnegan will be with us top of the show Monday and it's just a simple draw on Monday your name will go into an envelope and into the hat and the best of luck to you, Mary. Oh,
1: thanks so much, Sherry. Thanks
5: Thank you for taking your call, Mary. Have a lovely weekend. Bye-bye, Take bye. care, yourself. Bye-bye, bye-bye. There you are. Accountants, priests, listeners, you name it, are getting fly me to Dubai. Stand by your phone. If you want to enter the still time, text or WhatsApp, GLOBE TRAVEL to 086 1800 658. Now with your name and details. Just reminding you to download the LMFM app to your smartphone or tablet. You can bring us anywhere, listen to us anywhere. It's absolutely fantastic.
3: Fly me to Dubai.
5: Hello, who is this? I'll see you Jerry. How are you doing? (laughs) Louise, was there enough melody in the voice there? Are you happy? that? Ah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, you're you're happy. You're happy there's enough melody in the voice there. I take it you're not a member of a choir.
3: Yeah, you're dead right, Jerry.
5: <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, who have I again? What's your name?
3: Alfie McGivern.
5: Alfie McGivern. And where are you, Alfie, in the north-east today? Oh,
3: I'm just in the Lewis at the moment.
5: I'm from RD. Oh, you're from RD. And you're yeah. in the hospital at the moment, are you? Yes, yes, yes. Oh my God, yeah. I'm sorry. No, no, not
3: me. I'm, not, I'm
4: actually not in the hospital. I'm just bringing the wife up for... The check-up.
5: Oh, I see. I see. Anyway, you're in a public area there, and you sang no, for me. Yes, and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they all looking at you, Alfie. Well, Alfie, listen, you did really good in a public environment. You did sing it for us, <laughs> and you're in the final. Let me see: one, two, three, four, five, six. We have seven now. You have a okay. one in seven at the moment, and we're doing the draw on Monday, top of the show. Congratulations to you, Alfie. I'll let you go there. Good luck, Take care now. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you go, people in the hospital waiting area, looking at Alfie singing Fly Me to Dubai. Yes, you can only imagine what they're thinking up there at the moment. Anyway, well done to him. More calls. Be on the uh, standby on your phone later on. Now, on completion of his studies at university, he fled his homeland, Romania, for Germany. Eventually, Benoni Robu found his way to Ireland in the late 1990s, where he's held down numerous jobs and settled. His life has taken a totally different direction since 2017, and he recalls his life story in a new book called How Eating Pigs Potatoes Almost Made Me a Billionaire. Ben Robu, or better known as the Baron of Dublin, you're welcome to Late Lunch.
2: Good afternoon, Jerry. Good afternoon, people of Ireland.
5: Thank you for joining me on the show today. You grew up in Romania in tough times. Ceausescu was there when you were a child. Did you understand how tough life was, and at that stage?
2: Uh, yes and no, because uh, I was in university all my all the all that time, and uh, by the time he was uh, he was shot dead. Um, I was still in university there, so it was tough. The life in Romania was tough because the, the, the secret service uh, was pretty much uh, in your face.
5: Okay, so you grew up at home as a child, through school, into university, and you were at university when his end came about. Um, at home, it, where you lived, in the book, you talk about your father. He was a disciplinarian.
2: Yeah, Jerry, you see he was when you are the only soul you are the only person who work in the house and bring the the money in the house and you have eight people to feed. It's very tough. And combine that with the lack of freedom, lack of speech, sometimes you can lose the the control you you lose it sometimes and even today when you hit a crisis it's very it's not easy to see how you react until you are into that situation. The life in Romania was tough. Yes, he was a disciplinarian, but who am I to judge him? You name this book with pig. Pig's
5: Potatoes in the title. And, and there's a particular reason for that, because when I was reading it, you described a situation at home where there wasn't a lot of food and these potatoes were there.
2: Correct. Uh, Romania borrowed a lot of money from IMF. And in order to pay uh, to pay the foreign debt, everything was rationed. Sugar, oil, electricity... Including the bread, so I was 10 years old, and I went to buy bread, and I came home empty-handed. And the only, only thing left to eat was the pigs potatoes, we call it, is the boiled potatoes, the lower quality, you boiled, you put some porridge, and you feed the pigs. But that time, that evening, those potatoes were not fresh, not tasty. They were sour and they were grey. But that day, I promised myself that will never happen again. And as I talk to you, Jerry, I can say I'm living the dream.
5: Your father was a great proponent and your mother of education to have you all educated. And they made sure you went through school. You went on to study at university as well. But just as you completed your university studies, you got out of Romania. Why? Why did you leave at that stage when you had your education complete?
2: I had to follow my my dream. When a dream is inside your heart, you cannot avoid, you can delay it. But when the dream is part of your DNA... It's no other way. You have to follow your dream. You have to follow your heart. So, I left Romania only 2 days after finishing the university and I fled the country just to follow the dream, just to get the the freedom into my system because the system, communi- we know we know very well, the the corruption was there, no freedom of speech, no freedom at all, no no liberties at all. You couldn't even say, tell a joke because The security, security service was so much into your face. They knew almost what you had for dinner.
5: You went to Germany. You were illegal, of course, in Germany. You worked there. You earned money there in Germany. What did you work at when you went to Germany?
2: Uh, I was a chef. I was a chef. So, the
5: potato story, and as you said, they'd know what you had for your breakfast or dinner, the the secret service... Ironically, food and the food area you've worked quite a bit at in your lifetime, but you were deported. Then they they, they found you and they found you weirdly and they sent
2: you back home. Yeah, because I was illegal yeah. in Germany, no paper, and they sent me back. And what I did, they sent they they woke me up in the morning at half past five, but all the money was left in the bank. And I told the the the, the detective, I said, "What about my money?" I said. You have to come back some other time. He didn't know. He gave me a tip. And that was my mantra. Not even, not even on, on the plane already in Frankfurt. And I was planning the way back to get my money.
5: And you did go back, and it was a substantial amount of money at time that you had saved in the bank. What about six, 7,000 euros? That's correct.
2: was twelve. Uh, was around 12,000 Deutsche Mark, and we'll make about 6,500 euros in today's money.
5: You did go back and got it, but you nearly died in that attempt to go back to Germany. Uh, I... <sighs>
2: I I had a near-death experience, Mm. and because it never happened to me before, was very scary. The experience itself, when you start rising, it's enjoyable, it's so enjoyable, almost you are gone for good. The experience in itself was enjoyable feeling the body rising and passing my hands through the flowers, through everything. But when I woke up, that was scary because I thought I didn't know what to do. And what what woke me up was my banging of the teeth with hypothermia. Correct.
5: So you were out in the wilderness, you nearly froze to death, but you didn't. And thank God you got back, I, I know, to Germany. You got your money eventually. And you stayed in Germany from 1992 to 1997.
2: And did you work as a chef then as well? In Germany, I was, I, I work as a chef. But I realised, once I got the, mo- the the hands on the money, I realised I, I cannot stay there. So I left for Italy.
5: Okay, and how long were you in Italy for? For three years. Okay, and then back to Germany, was
2: it after that? I received a telegram and the guy said, I want you back. Okay. So I
5: went back again. He went back into Germany. Now, here's the thing which really uh, stoked my curiosity. You came to Ireland eventually, and it's an an incredible story of how you came here. Tell them, because it involves one of the most popular singers that ever lived in this land, (sighs) Mr. Joe Dolan.
2: Yeah, he. I believe it or not, Jerry. I still pray for him every, every, every morning. What happened there? I go back to follow a seed of a dream, and it's a love story behind Joe Dolan's story. When I was in high school, I was in love with this girl, and I want, I wanted to, to sing her song, and to impress her. I wanted to sing a song in English. But I never, I never did English in school. So I said, I'm going to learn a song which was massive in Romania at that time, a song by Joe Dolan, It's You, It's You, It's You. And then what happened there, I went to my friend who had this machine, to, recording machine, and I wanted to to, to write down the words. But I couldn't progress over the the, the third line. I couldn't understand. I didn't have the basic, nothing. And I was so upset because I couldn't impress the girl, the girl I was in love with. And then I said, I remember coming home very upset, started to cry, and I said, next time when I will have the opportunity to learn English, I will grab it with two hands. That opportunity came in 1997, in Germany or in no, Ireland? No, no, I was I was in Romania. Yeah. But someone said to me, "Let's go in Ireland, because um, it's expansion and the boom, economical boom." But I was not interested on in that. I said, "Oh, this is the country of Riverdance. This is the country of Paddy this is the country of Joe Dolan and uh, what's the name of the singer from, from, from Galway? Dolores Kinn. And I said, OK, let's go there. So <laughs> Ireland, here I am.
5: Here you are. The Baron of Dublin, Ben Robu, is with me on late lunch. So you come to Ireland knowing these famous people and really attracted by Joe Dolan. You work extensively here in, in many places, in the hospitality sector as a kitchen porter, a hotel worker, a sous chef, a chef... And then you ended up being the landscaper at the French embassy in Dublin. Quite a change from the kitchen to the landscaping.
2: How or why did that happen? You see, my background is engineering, agricultural, uh, agricultural engineering. And we studied horticultural, horticultural course in the university and in the high school. So I had already the basic there. I just needed to bridge it with some English terminology, and here I am. That was kind of I hit the ground running.
5: Yes, you you were illegal, of course, initially when you came to Ireland, but you were made legal here in 1999. How did that happen? Did you have to apply, or did the the, the state offer opportunities?
2: Uh, the state offered that opportunity, and then I grabbed it. I "My solicitor said, I know you are working illegally." Just go and start working on your on your on your full name, and then uh, it was like a big stone lifted from my shoulder when I started working on my own. Oh, of
5: course, and and you know it must be shocking for anybody. And us Irish have done it for. Generations in America and Britain, and you know what I mean. We've 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 a lot of experience of this as well. So a big weight lifted, and you can start really to find your way. I know you settled in Finglas. Do you still living in, in, in Finglas? Yes, yes. you're yeah, you, you, Still in Finglas. Yeah, you bought there. Um, you were involved in a number of different businesses that you set up yourself and have run uh, very successfully, including creches and other things. What happened in 2016? You hit a bump on the road, did you?
2: Yeah, correct. Uh, I was doing, uh, I was having a, a construction firm, f- firm as well, and uh, I took, uh, I took a big job, in uh, in Kuluk, renovating a school. And uh, was more than I could chew, and uh, everything was pear shaped. But I hit a big crisis financially, emotionally. But most of all spiritually and there, and I could have, I always thought about myself I'm strong spiritually. But you wouldn't believe when you are in that dark place everything falls apart and you you just you don't go slow, you just fall in a in a split of a second at the bottom of the of the of the dark place
5: and, and you were there you were down on your luck you were in a dark space
2: <sighs> it's not a dark place Jerry it's a very very dark place and it's very lonely and I consider myself very lucky because I had that fortitude and faith in myself to bounce back What I'm thinking now about the plain Josop, the painter, or the guy who is struggling now to make the ends meet. What if that person, your listeners, do not have that resilience to bounce back? What about if if some people in your community do not have that self-belief to bounce back? And that, when the idea of becoming a life coach, a motivational speaker, and with the book, the idea with the book came from a very dark place, and I said, I want to help people to let them know how dark and how thin line you, wo- you walk when you are there. So I'm back with the book, I'm back with a new business, and I give... I give as much as I can for free. I awarded yesterday another 5,000 books. I spread already 4,800 book, books for free. And I'm willing to give everything. I have a course and I have a program called Achieving Your Dreams by Knowing Yourself. And I'm willing to give it for free for whoever listener wants to take it. It's a hell of an offer, I have to say.
5: You won't get many offers like this on radio anywhere in the country today like you've just got from Ben. The Pendulum Summit in 2017, and when you talk about being in a dark place to a bright place, you know the Pendulum, the way it swings from here to there. There's maybe an irony in this. Going to that summit which you went to and the people you met really did change the course of your life.
2: Yeah, you see, Pendulum, it's a, it's a very, very good event. And it's very good. It's very well put together. But the pendulum, it's only 50%. You have to be at the right junction in order to get the best of that event. So I was, I was, I could see the ray of light from the dark place. And I knew I, I could do it. I knew I could do it. I, I didn't even have money enough to pay for the ticket. But I, I made a stretch, I made an effort, I buy the, I bought a ticket, and guess what? I was, I was so, so willing to bounce back. That evening, I had dinner with all the VIP guests, and I didn't know it cost a fortune to be around those guys. <laughs> I hope, I hope Frankie Sheehan doesn't hear me. <laughs> So this happened, and it there's a
5: real lesson in this for everybody. Look, the book, I've been through the book the last couple of days since you dropped it into me, and I really have enjoyed it. And the, the last part of it is really this new phase of your life and what you're doing now. Ben has brought some copies of the book to us. And if you'd like a copy, for free, we'll send it out to you. If you want inspiration in your life to read this man's story from where he began to where he is today and the ups and downs. It's called How Eating Pigs Potatoes Almost Made a Billionaire. It's available on Amazon. And your details, what's your website? How can people get in touch with you?
2: It's a Baron of I e, and um, I'm looking for an agent, a distributor, because... Uh, I just want the book to end up in Eastern and all the bookstores in Ireland. Yes, yes, I
5: understand. Well, we have copies, and if you'd like a copy of uh, Ben's book, answer this question. He's from Romania. What's the capital of Romania? And you can answer that question now to 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. I wish you well.
2: Thank, thank you for joining me on the show today. Thank, thank you, Jerry. Thank you very much for having me. You're very, very welcome. late lunch LMFM radio Friday
5: afternoon we're heading to a break on the show stand by your phones that's all I'll say to you don't Don't forget the Holy Family Boxing Club they have their 40th anniversary show 12 top class bouts and it's happening in the Crescent Quarter and they would love you there tomorrow Saturday from 7 o'clock
0: Fly me to Dubai.
5: Ah, they're on the ball today, aren't they, in late lunchland, land? Again, you hung back a little bit there. Hello, who are you?
0: I'm Katrina, Katrina Value.
5: Katrina, how are you? Oh, Jerry, I'm great. <laughs> well, you you must be even greater now that you did what you were told. You're the model student. You sang for us, Katrina, and you're one step closer to going lovely. to Dubai. Lovely. Thank you very oh, much. Oh, you're so welcome. Whereabouts are you today? What are you up to? I'm
0: in Monasterwise, and I'm just having a cup of tea here with my sister-in-law.
5: Ah, lovely. What's oh, your sister-in-law's name?
0: Her name is Geraldine.
5: <laughs> there you are. W- will you bring her to Dubai if you win? <laughs>
0: No, I actually won't. <laughs> I better not say I will.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I better not put you on that hook this afternoon, <laughs> Katrina. Well, look at what about this? I, I said it to somebody earlier. Were you ready to go? Were you, you know, where you all set? No matter when your phone rang today, you were going to do that.
0: No, actually, you know, I've been, few days, I've been thinking about it, and I said, God, I hope I don't forget. Yeah. And and actually, we went for. we just back from a walk, and I and the phone rang, and I went. Oh my god, maybe I'll sing. <laughs> <laughs>
5: there you go well you did and you did it properly and it's 100% within the rules you've sang and you've said the words properly and you are now one of eight shortlisted at this point in time one in eight chance at the moment Katrina and the draw's mm-hmm. happening half one Monday have your phone on Sandra Finnegan from Globe Travel will be joining us to do Lovely. the big draw here and I wish you the best Lovely. of luck oh listen Jerry. thank you very much love program. at all. Thank you. programme not thanks a million thank, thank you thank, thank you, you for joining much. me on the bye show bye 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 Katrina Bell you there in my honest to boys this afternoon and she sang it yeah, and just to mention again holy family boxing club jim gorman and the crew uh, tomorrow night seven o'clock 10 euro uh, in for adults five for children well worth supporting one of the finest sporting bodies in the northeast and good luck to them with that tomorrow evening now the positivity that my next guest has shown through her cancer battle has astounded everyone that knows her and she's even here smiling at me across the desk today and ready to tell me about winning our fight with breast cancer. Fiona McCarthy, you are very welcome to Late Lunch.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Jerry. Not I'm at all.
5: I can tell you this. In the years that Louise Walsh has been working with me as producer, and you know she's the greatest ever for getting guests and talking to people, I never heard her laugh as <laughs> much or as hard Out the tears flowing down her face as when she spoke to (laughs) you earlier today.
1: That's mad. She's there behind me. Yeah, I know. She has your back as well,
5: just for the next (laughs) while. But I I mean that. I mean that. Look, let's talk a serious for a moment. Yeah, You're from Kildare, our neighbouring county here. Family-wise, you have three grown-up I have three
1: daughters, yeah. Three girls.
5: And uh, you don't mind me saying you're into your 50s now. And last May, May of last year, 2019, you went for a mammogram. Now, can I ask you this? Was this part of the national programme? Was it to do it your age or did you just do it yourself?
1: No, it was the, the breast check programme. OK, so as part of that. As part of that, yeah. You went. I went. And this was the first mammogram that first you First one I ever, ever had. Ever. First one ever. And tell me this, Fiona.
5: <laughs> did you feel anything odd or different or did you expect anything Nothing. from it? Nothing.
1: I says, oh, better go, you know, get this done, get it out of the way. Bit of an annoyance. Everybody says it's really sore. It's not, by the way, just uncomfortable. And I went in and I was laughing away with the nurse, you know, because my breasts were really large and we're having a bit of a hard time getting them in the machine. But anyway, went in, did it. And she kept saying to me, don't be worried if you get a call back. I said, "Ah, sure I wouldn't be. What the heck, you know? I know loads of people get a call back on their first one because there's nothing to compare it to. But unbeknownst to me, she'd seen something and was she, she was she knew I was going to get a call back
5: So she was and easing, easing
1: me. I was being eased yeah. in the whole way I
5: understand, yeah, ok yeah. So off you toddled when did you get the call?
1: On the Friday
5: at 5 o'clock So that was quick enough
1: Yeah, Friday at 5pm I got the mammogram on the Tuesday and on the Friday the post arrived at 5pm to come back
5: Did the alarm bell start to ring in your mind? Did you start thinking this deeper?
1: Well for a couple of minutes and I rang my sister and I was like what? And she said I oh, do no, remember the nurse said you'd be called back and I went oh that's right so I didn't think any more of it.
5: Nothing. <laughs> so off you toddle for off I the, went. for number two.
1: Number two is my what daughter. Happens? It was the fifteenth of May, my daughter's my youngest daughter's birthday. In I went, brought my mum with me, um, thought I was just going for another mammogram. And they said it was a different kind of mammogram and I said, Well was it blurry pictures, you know? Oh no, she said, We found a lump. And that's when I went, uh oh. But then I wasn't too worried. Like there was loads of women. We were all sitting around with these lovely little lavender capes, you know. And we just, well, you know, the nurses are like, everybody's having a great laugh. But I suppose that was me. I got them all going
2: because
1: <laughs> I was like, did anybody else get offered a cup of tea? And they're like, no. And I was like, I'm screwed, you know. Sorry for that, but we all just had a laugh, you know. So well, what can you do?
5: So you're, you're given the news, but yeah. you are obviously deflecting from this with obviously, the humour. Obviously, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Obviously, yeah. So what are you told then? How do things move along?
1: Well, it, it, at the time, it seemed to go very, very slowly. But looking back, it was very quick. Like I had a mammogram, then I had a biopsy and ultrasound on the same day. Um, come back a week later for the results. Um, told I need an MRI because it's lobular cancer, which is slightly different. Um, There's less people diagnosed that only about 10% is lobular cancer and it's like a spider web rather than a lump. So there was no signs, symptoms, anything like that. So they said do an MRI to gauge the proper size. Um, After the MRI they found there was three or four more areas of concern plus my lymph nodes. So they just said we're going to take them all off. Um, all my lymph nodes are gone my right breast is gone and to <laughs> I got and like people think I'm mad but when he said I have to have a mastectomy I said well I want you to weigh it and he was like what? look at your face right now <laughs> but growing up they were big I always wanted to know what they weighed so I got them to weigh it so I'd be slimmer of the week in Slimmer World
5: I don't get often stuck to this chair <laughs> but I don't think I but can no, just I mo- move at this moment in time so you asked them to weigh it. And, and I It, had, it had something like, to do with Slimming World,
1: had it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I was in Slimming World and I'd lost three stone. And I thought, you know, another half a stone to go because the size of these things. But it was only 1.74 kilos.
5: Were you trying to be crowned slimmer, <laughs> slimmer of the week or month or something? I wanted wait. to be
1: slimmer of the week. Look, Miriam, you've got to take the and everything, don't you? You know, you need a half a pound to get your hair cut. Stand on the scales and hope for the best. I would a mistake to me. Come on. The least they could have done was giving me sliver of the week.
5: <laughs> I can understand why Louise Walsh had the tears running down her face because I wasn't privy to the call today, but I really am starting to understand now. But look, in the midst of this, you lose a substantial part of your body. Yes. Yes. When you post-op, when you wake up and you look for the first time...
1: Yeah, it wasn't easy. Now, I have to say it wasn't easy. I didn't want to look. But I had had a choice of reconstruction on the day or a delayed reconstruction. So I chose a delayed reconstruction because when the plastic surgeon came in, as I said, I've large breasts. He said the biggest they could do would be a B or a C cup and I'm a G. So I thought I'd be a bit deformed wake up with one big one one small one I said not having that so I woke up without one which to me was mentally better knowing now I can, they're going to reduce the other one in time and rebuild and they'll be the same then so I won't be okay weird you know but, but I, you
5: have a real roadmap for this haven't you yeah. do you have a real plan oh, yeah, in, no, it's, in mind with this
1: but it's, it's all the breast check thing it's brilliant it's a brilliant service like and they have it all set up and it's this you know one right after the other they tell you what you're going to be doing and the surgeon was brilliant Mr Garrity Every time I went into him, he was smiling and I said, every time I see you smiling, you're giving me worse news, you know, and he just kept smiling. So that helped, Mm. you know, I mean, years ago, like the consultants, they were a a law unto themselves, I suppose. They were like, I'm the God, I'm the doctor. But he wasn't like that at all. It was like I was sitting here talking to you. You Which know. is the way it should be exactly, and, and yeah. I know
5: what you're saying because I experienced it in the past. It was certainly a them and us, a, a, a very co- a coldness to it. Really, as a such yes. matter of
1: fact. and you don't question them, never, never. But he was very personable, very good. I was allowed to ask any questions I wanted.
5: I'm sure you asked plenty. Oh, I did. (laughs) Getting to know you these few minutes, I'm sure you did. But look, seriously, you you have it done, and you're moving on afterwards. Follow up because I want to tell you this great woman has just come from treatment today. You've been in in St. Luke's, Luke's, have you today? Yeah. So what 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 does the treatment involve, and how long have you been on it?
1: I've been well. I did. I had the surgery on the second of July, and then I did four months, four and a half months of chemotherapy. So I was bald as a. So that finished on the 26th of December. The eldest daughter got married on the 29th of December. So just in time. Right. So then my chemo, my chemo, sorry, my radiotherapy started on the 6th of January, which was my daughter's live in San Diego. Hello, they're listening. Um, They went home that morning and my radiotherapy started that afternoon. So it was all perfect timing, really. So I've been there now for two weeks in Luke's. I feel like I'm on holidays because I go in it's like a hotel. It's an amazing service. Absolutely amazing. You have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. The staff, there's not one miserable person on staff. Like they're all wonderful. I've never seen anything like it. So I was there today and you go in and it's like, I keep lying, I'm lying. It's a big machine. It's not like the MRI or the CT scan. There's three big, huge arms. On it, and I don't know if you've seen Lost in Space, but I'm lying there and I have to have my hands up over my head, and I just keep going, Danger Will Robinson, (laughs) and it just keeps me going. (laughs) It is, it's like, and the arms move around to different spots. I think everybody
5: (laughs) should have a little bit of your DNA.
1: Ah, That'd be good, wouldn't it? Just sitting here, but you have to look. I've won life. I can live it sad and be miserable and be angry or I can live it happy and enjoy it and that's the way I look at it I want to enjoy it How has treatment been?
5: You know I, I hear from various people that you know with time and with different treatments and the the severe illness that chemo and even radiation yeah. could be at times that, that it's getting less and less as we improve treatments and it, outcomes
1: It was hard I won't say well, it wasn't easy now some days on chemo was Easy. Some of the first session, I had the three worst days of pain that I've ever had in my life. didn't think I was going to be able to cope, but I did and I got through it and it didn't happen again because I told them about it and it was managed with pain pills, painkillers, and anti inflammatory. So that was fine. Um, It just makes you tired. Like last Friday, I went home after my treatment. I'd been up there for treatment every day and I went home on Friday. I got home at 12 o'clock and I slept till 12 o'clock on Saturday. You know, it was great. <laughs>
5: <laughs> there Hitting are people listening to you today, Fiona, who would give anything <laughs> to manage to get shot eye of that.
1: And but look, look,
5: seriously, it does show that it knocks you for six.
1: It does you knock know. you for six. It takes a lot out of you. Mm-hmm. It really does. I mean, I'm sitting here laughing with you, but when I go home tonight, now I'll probably sleep again. As soon as I get home today, now I'll be in bed and I'll sleep and I'll get up and I'll. But I'm lucky because I'm off work. So I can if I if I'm awake all night it doesn't matter because I can sleep all day. There's other people out there who God love them are working through the radiotherapy and have to you know, they have to keep going that way. So I'm in that way I'm lucky.
5: I'm lucky you're with me today on late lunch. <laughs> I have to say that. I wanna take a wee break. I am just <laughs> Full of the joys. Thank you. Listening to you, and I'm sure, I'm sure so many people are as well. Isn't she just the best? Fiona McCarthy is with us on late lunch. Stay listening to those trannies. The wonderful Fiona McCarthy is with me on late lunch today. Here, have a lovely message for you just after coming in. Let me read it. Jerry, will you give Fiona a big hug from me? I'm currently in remission from breast cancer. Uh, what a tonic she is. I'm here laughing and feeling better by her. The very best to us, says Christine, this afternoon.
1: Oh, that's brilliant. Oh, thanks, Christine. I really appreciate that. There's more people than that. That's just what, that's an example of the people. Oh, that's lovely. You,
5: you, you're inspiring out there. Thank you so much for the lovely message, Christine. Um, Come back to yourself. You, you know, when you get a diagnosis and you have to tell family and friends and the, the circle of life that you're in as well, I, I've often been curious to, to ask somebody. Do people receive it in different ways? Do people come straight to you and get in there? Do people say the wrong inappropriate things do some people avoid?
1: Some people would avoid. I have one friend that disappeared and that's okay. You know, I know he's still there. He's just not able to cope with this and that's fine. Um, A lot of people have said, oh, I know such and such had that and she died. And I'm like, well, thanks for that. You know, I'm not going to die. I'm here. It's fine. Like, hopefully... But uh, the hardest part was my mum was with me on the day that I got the diagnosis. And my poor mother, like she's, I better not say her age, but anyway, she'd be mum. And she was very upset. And she kept saying, I wish it was me. And I'm looking at her going, no, well, I'm glad it's me and not you. And then I had to ring my daughters. Um, Amanda rang me and I had to tell her. And she was so far away that it was very difficult. And I told Katrina, who lives with Amanda as well. And Katrina seemed fine. She's listening to me now, but then she rang me a few days later to tell me her dog had cancer and she was bawling, crying. And I was like, but you weren't crying when I don't. I had cancer. And I'll never forget it, but she says, but I don't have to pay for your treatment. That's one way looking at it. You know?
5: <laughs> I, think poor you, dog. I think you, McCarthys, have life <laughs> sussed out. You know, you 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 really do. You have this all figured
1: yeah <laughs> ah look come on. I want to say hello you to myself. My
5: man and Katrina are in uh, San Diego today listening to us. We're delighted to have you with us on the show and Megan, of course Megan is as beside well, yeah. you in, in in county Kildare um your finished treatment next
1: week is it next Friday be my last radiotherapy yeah you have a little will you have a little celebration there? I'd love to, but I have two sisters well, I have five sisters, but two of them are twins, and it's their birthday. On Friday, so... Come on! <laughs> we'd probably be celebrating their birthday, but I'm going to tag along and say, yay, I'm done. I can have a drink now, so I couldn't drink at the wedding.
5: <laughs> you better look out in the hot spots of uh, Kildare and Dublin. You never know you who you might encounter next weekend. The girls are back in town. Um, that's it. I'm not surprised when... I, I look at your background. You were in I, IT training before the crash and That's then right. you had to readjust like so many yep. hundreds of thousands of Irish people had to. You were a tour guide.
1: Yes, why not? Where did you guide
5: people on tours?
1: I did Kilmainham Jail for four and a half months. Best job ever, I have to say. Well, But it was just too far to travel in and out. But yeah. sure, we'll do it again some other time.
5: It must be special to be there because it is regarded as one of the foremost historical places to visit in this country.
1: Yeah it it was an amazing experience I have to say I was honoured to be able to work there. I just started work there the day after I finished my exams in college. So I didn't even get to go out and celebrate that I was finished. <laughs> I had to be in work for half eight in the morning. <laughs> but Look, I, I w- it was an honour and a privilege. Um, it was a fantastic job. Yeah, I'm
5: sure every day was marvellous there. Yeah. And, you know, I can see now you have the gift of the gab. And I'd mm-hmm. say you'd be just the most wonderful uh, tour guide as well to be in the company of uh, going yep. around a place like Kilmainham. And, of course, I take it you met people from everywhere, every part of the world who yes. wanted to see it. Yeah,
1: loads of everywhere. You name it, they were from there. You know, but my, when I'm finished, I've I'm, I'm finished my active treatment on next Friday, the 24th, but I have a, a long road ahead of me still, so I have to lose about six stone before I can get my reconstruction. I know, you're like, where is it? It's in me feet. <laughs> <laughs> so, so may, <laughs> may, may, Fiona, may I ask you this? Obviously, you've been eating well. Oh, well, it's the steroids, Jerry It had to be. As well. Couldn't have been the food. Mm wasn't the donuts, it was the steroids. I, I, I can't <laughs> comment
5: on that. I, is there any medical person out there can put me on the right track you know, here? Really. I, I believe you, I believe you. Licensed to but, eat. But you love Come food. On. You love, you of course love I your do. food, don't but I've you? But
1: never, I've never been yeah. this heavy in my life. I was, okay. I'm normally about a size 14 to 16. Right. And right now I'm probably about a size 22. And that's happened since last May. So last May I was a size 14 and now I'm huge. So before I can have my reconstruction, I have to lose that weight. So I'm going to concentrate on that when I'm finished my active treatment. Okay. To getting fit, getting healthy. Yes. And getting and proper you, size. you've done you know. that in the past. You know yeah. you can. I know You're I working, can do it, yeah. yeah, yeah. You, were,
5: you were working down yeah. uh, before all this happened. Obviously, you were more surprised than anybody that when you went for the mammogram, that you were called back and then what transpired, you've just yep. told us about Isn't there a lesson in that for every woman woman, to say, no
1: symptoms, no no nothing? No, No symptoms, nothing at all. Nothing. There was no outward sign, no inward sign, no lump, nothing. So when you get your mammogram appointment from breast check, don't put it off. Just go, get it out of the way. It can be a bit of an annoyance. So what? That little bit of annoyance saved my life. It's the same with your cervical smear. Go get it done, ladies. There's a new one out now, I think, for your colon when you're over a certain age. Get that done as well. It only takes a minute, and it could save your life. And
5: that is the truest words you will ever speak. In that, if you continued as you were, well,
1: God knows what would happen. And now it is, I get new boobs and a tummy tuck. (laughs) (laughs) It's great.
5: (sighs) How do you do it? How do you how do you keep your own heart <laughs> off like that? Because look at honestly, behind it all there's nights when you put your head down on the pillow and maybe you're on your own and you get thinking and things like that. Do you have to deal with that at times as well?
1: No, I just take out a book. Do you? Yeah.
5: Don't let anything I don't like let that it in or me. think no, or I don't nothing. let
1: it get to me, no. It is what it is. That's it. It is what it is. I'm here. I'm me. I go by the um I love that song that's in um the greatest showman, This is me. I am bruised. I am I am me. This is me I'm who you know, I'm meant
5: to be. You are what you are. And yeah. that's quite obvious to anybody listening yeah. to us uh, on late lunch this afternoon. You know, I've spoken to many people who've been on this journey in my time sitting in this seat. I'll always remember today.
1: Oh, thanks, Jerry. You're very I good. I will, And
5: I say hello again to your lovely girls yeah. who are listening in, Amanda, Katrina and Megan as well. You have a wonderful mammy, let me tell you all.
1: Can I just say one yep. thing for anybody that's been newly diagnosed, any woman, you got this. You can do it it's not easy but you can do it
5: powerful words Fiona McCarthy it's been my pleasure thank you for joining me on the show stay there we are for a moment because I think we're going to hear the phone ringing in a second and I might as well give you a little connection there so as you hear what's happening when it's on here we are patient again will it ring won't it ring is there a sound will there not be a sound nothing happening there voicemail switched off what's happening Try another one there, Louise. Go on, try another one. Louise is going to try another number for me as I speak there. You know, we're waiting. You know, Fiona, you may not have been listening, but we're hoping that somebody answers the phone and they sing, fly me to to Dubai. Dubai. And uh, this has been going on all week and there's been people who've said it, which you can't do. There's people who said hello to me, which you can't certainly do. And there's others who've sang. Like the lady earlier. Yes. Will we get another? The phone is ringing. Here we go.
0: You have reached the Vodafone voicemail service of 086. Please leave a message after the tone.
5: Jerry Kelly, late lunch, LMFM, calling you this afternoon, looking for a song, and you're on voicemail. I am so sorry, but you were that close to being closer to return flights to Dubai and a four-night stay in a luxury hotel. Thank you for entering the competition. Sorry we didn't get singing to you. Are you singing to us this afternoon? Bye. Oh, my word. Sorry, sorry. Fiona, that's the... That's it. That's that's the way (laughs) the the old dice rolls in life, isn't it? Anyway, one more call before uh, we finish the competition and then do the big draw on Monday coming up after News & Sport at 3. Hello, hi. who,
3: ah
5: oh, look. you're too late, you're too late, as soon as you said hello, er, er, you were
3: gone,
5: who am I talking to? Hi Claudia, hi. Oh Claudia, Claudia, come on, you know the rules of the game By this stage you gotta sing to me straight away and you said hello
3: I know to I you. was
5: running in the door as I saw. Oh Lord Almighty, Lord Almighty. Listen anyway commiserations. You were close, but not close enough. Thank you so much for taking our call. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So there it is. The lines are closed. The die is cast. Siobhan Gray, Myrtle Allen, Stephen Houston, Nolan Roach, Jerome O'Brien, Mary Rogan, Katrina Bellew, or Alfie McGivern will be winging it to du- to Dubai. Return flights for two at Emirates. Their sale is on at the moment. Check it out, and of course, Globe Travel. Sandra Finning pulling the whole thing together for us. Globe Travel. dot either in Lawrence Street and draw to give them a shout. We'll be here on Monday to make the draw. Top of the show, late lunch. So all you folks have your phones switched on. Yes, draw to pantomime society have been staging the Snow Queen at the Barbican Centre this year. It's been a wonderful show, raving success, packed audiences, finishes Sunday. It's fully booked out for Sunday, but there are a few tickets left for tomorrow, Saturday, for the Snow Queen in the Barbican. Last chance to see the of Pantomime Society. Wonderful performance of that pantomime this year happening tomorrow. Also, what else was I to say to you? Yes, just to remind you to download our app. Yes, the LMFM app to your smartphone. Because you see, when you have the app, you can bring us absolutely anywhere in the world. To your smartphone or your tablet. And we're also on smart speaker. Remember this. So if you ask it to play LMFM radio, you can listen as well to us here on LMFM radio. Friday afternoon, sporting weekend ahead. We're concentrating on the Premiership today, the Premier League, should I say, in England. And joining me is the communications manager of Boyle Sports, Leon Blanche. Good afternoon, Leon. Good afternoon, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. Liverpool, Manchester United, not what it once was because the uh, power base has moved from Manchester to Liverpool.
3: Yeah, look, it certainly has shifted in the last couple of years. I think Liverpool, we all know, they've done remarkably well last year to guess 97 points, not enough to win the league, but they did win their Champions League and they've taken their league form into this season. And the only team actually to take points off Liverpool so far in the Premier League has been Manchester United, when Liverpool were quite fortuitous, I thought, to get a draw, Adam Lallana coming off the bench um, to get that point at Old Trafford. But Liverpool are the overwhelming favourites, Jerry, a 2-5 to five to beat Manchester United. I cannot remember ever seeing Man United as big as seven and a half to one to beat Liverpool at Anfield and the draw just under four to one. So, look, Liverpool's home record, I can't remember even the last time they got beaten at Anfield in the league. It's been a long, long time and I think when you look at the likes of Salah, Mane, Firmino, they've also brought in Minamino, they've got Origi, they've got Shakiri. They look to have a very, very strong squad at the minute. On the other hand, Marcus Rashford, I'm sure all Manchester United fans will be hoping him coming off in their FA Cup replay victory over Wolves. I would hope they, they're thinking it's not too serious, but Martial and Rashford have been good on occasions this year. But I just think United, I think in the midfield area, I think that's where Liverpool can dominate. And I would be very surprised, Jerry, if it wasn't a Liverpool victory come around half past six on Sunday evening.
5: Now, another intriguing game happens at the London Stadium and it's intriguing because of David Moyes. Former Everton manager was rumoured to be going back there. Ancelotti took the job on a full-time basis and out of the blue, here is Moyes back at West Ham.
3: Yeah, look, it was a little bit of a shock. I think it was a shock to anyone who follows football. I think the West Ham fans were a little bit uh, disappointed with the... With the um, Reappointment of David Moyes, but I think he'd done a good job. You have to give him credit when he kept them up the last time he was in charge. They got off to a good start, um, winning I think four 0 at home, and then they got beaten. Everton, on the other hand, there has been plenty of talk about and discontent within the fans towards the players. But if you look at Ancelotti, I think he's won three out of four league games since he's taken charge at Goodison Park. Yes, they were disappointing in the second half against Liverpool reserves. But I do think in that first half they created enough chances to win that game. They're away against West Ham. This is a very hard one to call, Jerry. I think even looking at the betting, West Ham are underdogs, but only slight underdogs at home at fifteen to eight. Everton's seven to five, and the draw here is five to two. I don't know which team is going to win. I'm going to be totally honest. I think in Richarlison, Everton have probably got a world class player, and um, he's been scoring goals even in a side that has been struggling. If you look at West Ham. Their main striker is Sebastian Haller. He hasn't really done the business since his big money move. I think Michael Antonio is very underrated. Um, he puts himself about, but for me, too hard to call, so we'll have to just sit on the fence and go with the draw at
5: 5-2. Finally, Leon, we uh, sink to the bottom of the league, and if you were to say a 6-pointer, a 9-pointer, I'd safely say a 12-pointer. It's Norwich against Bournemouth.
3: Yeah, this is a massive game for both sides. Unfortunately, in my own opinion, I think Norwich, they're probably going to get relegated, Jerry. They draw too many games, they don't win enough, and they get beaten very often. And that, for me, is a recipe for relegation. Bournemouth, on the other hand, Eddie Howe has done a tremendous job there. But his time at the club, it, it's like a lot of managers, after a number of years, it just becomes a little bit stale. And I think, unfortunately, for Bournemouth, the injury crisis they have at the minute hasn't helped them, and they're going to struggle. Um, I think they could also get relegated. I don't even think whoever wins this game, I think if Bournemouth win it, it might give them a little bit of belief that they can avoid the drop. They're 23-10 to 10. to do so. The draw is 12-5, and Norwich are 23-20. to 20. I do feel here both teams should be able to score. They don't have great... Um, defensive lines so I think if you were looking at this game you'd be looking at both teams to score and maybe I think Norwich and both teams to score 16-5 to 5 is the way I'd probably just play this one
5: Leon until next Friday thank you so much for talking to us again today
3: All the best Jerry.
5: Aidan Shevlin's been on to me. He was listening to Fiona McCarthy and he just said, Jerry, that lady is brilliant. I have a big smile on my face through your whole conversation. Her positive attitude is just unbelievable and I know so many people will take inspiration from her today and there's more on the message there. But Aidan, thanks indeed. Appreciate you getting in touch with us today. Now, news reaching us that Ritoth College is set to drop its iPad-only policy for new students after an an independent review recommended books should be reintroduced. I'm sure Nicola Kern, spokeswoman for the concerned parents group, is very happy today. Well, we'll find out. She's on the line. Good afternoon, Nicola.
0: Hi, Jerry. Thanks for the invitation to talk and to allow us to have a discussion about it. Yes, we are um, very, very delighted. Um, You know, the focus on this was always the best outcome for our children and this has been an exceptionally thorough report. We haven't seen it yet, but the the quality of the education experts that were tasked with the job you know is second to none and it was independent so we look forward to the details of the of the report but certainly the news that incoming first years for the current academic year or the forthcoming academic year will not be required to buy an iPad and we will a return to physical textbooks
5: just remind listeners of your concerns I know iPads are expensive uh, pieces of kit was it solely on the finance side or was it uh, to do it you know the, the uh, doing away with the books and having the physical books in your hand and that type of learning versus the iPad?
0: Yeah, well, I suppose that there was um, lots of people had expressed concern individually, parents who had, had experience of having the iPad at home and no textbook and giving that to a 12 to 15 year old and relying on teachers, you know, who are already very heavily burdened to upload adequate di- digital content. So the extreme interpretation that the school had taken had, had been problematic. But I suppose the um, the the lightning moment was the circular that came out in May of 2018 and. And it asked schools to carry out a consultation with parents on the use of digital devices in the classroom and smartphones. So our school uh, started that process in February of last year. And when uh, the survey results that they conducted online came out, there was a very mixed response and there was a lot of concern. 85% of teachers had reported that the iPads were a source of distraction in the classroom. 65% of teachers had said they felt they lacked the digital skills. And there was very concerning feedback from parents. Now, there was on the flip side of that, teachers and parents who were very positive about the Mm iPad, you know, certain students learn very effectively on it teachers can open up that whole learning space but um, it raised more questions than it answered parents weren't happy and really I suppose they dug their heels in and it was a difficult thing to do because parents' voices are not uh, widely heard or necessarily welcomed and so to upset the status quo like that was certainly something that the system wasn't used to and arriving out of that they called for this independent review and we had hoped that we would not have to buy the iPads for the current first year cohort my girl is in first year and I have two other students one in junior cycle and one in transition year but unfortunately we had to go ahead and buy those iPads so we don't know the full picture of what's coming down the track but it is a vindication for parents Uh, it is an endorsement of the concerns that we've had and it's what we've been saying all along
5: the uh, school or, or adult college, should I say, we have been in contact with, but they've de- declined to comment at this time. So we just want to say that and put that on the record for parents listening elsewhere today, because other schools in the northeast and beyond have adapted this policy as well. What do you say to them today?
0: Well I, I think this is a much broader issue than our local school and for that I want to thank the LMETB in fairness to them and the board they have had a, they have been on a difficult enough journey in the recent months but at least they had the the courage to go out and um to fund this independent review and and hopefully we will be positively seeing it through, but you know it does. It should not be school driven. It should. Be, this this response needs to come from the department. They have a digital strategy. They have thrown 150 million euro at it. They are funding, trade, not widespread. What schools are doing is very much up to themselves. They're taking the department take a hands off approach. So. And that is afforded to them by our system. Our system is broken in that the school has a board of management. It has full autonomy. The department are a step away. You can't reach the the board of management because they're locked down in confidentiality. Some are are governed then by ETVs, for example, or other voluntary groups. And parents are in the midst of that. And we are seeing a creeping in of a digital um, infiltration and there is no checks and balances in that system. They are um, often when parents come in and we have been contacted by parents from all over the country saying thank you for raising this issue. They, they go into schools and it is handed to them. Now, often those decisions are made by school management. In the very good cases, it's consultation, ongoing review and best practice. But in a lot of cases, Schools are selling themselves now on being tech-driven. It's very trendy, but there is very little research, evidence-based research out there to say that this is an effective way and what is the impact of this? What is the impact of that over-reliance on technology in our education system, on our children's health, well-being and their education, their development and their attainment? Because we have seen the full raft of the ill-effects as well as some of the positive effects, but there really is a need for national action on it. And one worrying thing that is, is percolating beneath the surface and that is creeping in is that tech companies big tech companies are vying for market share in our schools they are being facilitated in doing that by our department because the department are handing out no-quibble grants the tech companies are sweetening the deal there are private companies who are obviously occupying that market space you know it is being sold on the basis of being all things to all people and yet there is very little research and very little control of that. And, you know, there used to be a time, and I apologise for going on, when I would Google this issue and a lot of studies would come up from foreign countries, Australia and France. But there are excellent Irish academics who are, you know, who are published and are leading the way here. We we were privileged to have one of them on our um, review group, Dr Anne Marcus Quinn in the University of Limerick. Her colleague, uh, Serena Horrigan also, and Selina McCoy. They have contributed to papers that have asked. In fact, the most recent one was was only published before Christmas. The Digital Learning Movement, it's called, How Should Irish Schools Respond? And, you know, this is, we can talk academics, we can talk frameworks, um, you know, we can talk all of those things. But the core of this issue is that these are our children. It is their health and until somebody can actually take a top-down approach from the department and take ownership of this and say, what exactly is the impact on teaching and learning? And convene an expert group. We have no department now, obviously. Uh, You know, one of the final acts that Joe McHugh did was to um, announce an extra £50 for ICT. Mm. He wants, and the department want, Ireland to be... um, top of Europe by 2026 in embedding technology. Yes,
5: well, can I just say to you, and I have to leave it there, Nicola, they'll have to take into consideration this uh, finding today of the independent group, which I'm sure has certainly national implications. Well done to you and your group. It is it is a special day for you, but there's more water under the bridges, you're saying there, to come down the road. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for joining absolutely. me on the Thank show. Thank you. Thank you,
0: Jerry. For Not at
5: speech. all. You're very welcome. Take care now. Nicola Kearns there on uh, the day that it was announced that Rathcote College is set to drop its iPad-only on- policy for new students after an independent review. That's a lot on Late Lunch for this week. Thanks to everybody who to the Globe Travel Competition. We have our final eight. That will happen on Monday with Sandra top of the show. Thanks to all our guests this week, to Louise Walsh, my producer, but especially to you, our listeners, who tune in every day. Eddie's coming next with The Drive. Have a lovely weekend. Stay safe, take care, and come back and join us for a brand new week of Late Lunch Monday at one30 The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahida, Dundalk and Cavan. We want you to smile with the best deals on a new Renault or Dacia in 2020.
4: You can now inquire at blackstonemotors.ie
1: It's that time of the year.
0: Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves,
1: feel the warm breeze, relax,